0: All right, here we go. Welcome to the Robcast. This is episode 316, and it's called A Brief Guide to Ecstasy. So just once again, my friends, it's a brief guide, just to get us started. A Brief Guide to Ecstasy. So I want to I show you an old story, and as always... We're looking for ourselves in the story. That's that's what we're doing. I uh, have been meeting lots of you this fall. I've been doing this all-new Everything, a spiritual tour. And it's the same show in every city, but it's also, those of you who have been there, you know what I'm talking about. It's also a, a different show every night because you and I, uh, we create it together. And uh, I actually just did it at Largo a couple nights ago. And now next week i get to go to denver so all you denver friends and surrounding vicinities um i'm coming your way i'll be at the paramount theater which i've uh been at a number of times in the past uh, just a wonderful venue and um, i'll see you there and then this week uh tickets go on sale for the australia leg of this all-new Everything is Spiritual Tour. Next year, October of 2022, I'll be in Sydney and then Melbourne. So all you Australia friends who are always like, when are you coming? October of 2022. And you can find those tickets, uh, Australian friends, through my site or through livenation.com.au. And then... uh what else are we going to do? Oh, well, then um, February will be Dallas, Austin, and Oklahoma City. Um, and then, uh, oh, yeah, next summer will be Berlin, Amsterdam, Stockholm, Copenhagen, Oslo, Belfast, Dublin, Manchester, London, Brighton, Bristol, and who knows... Where else'll we'll go, but one of the things I do is I get to meet you people and hear what you want to talk about and yeah, it's been a mm it's just just been incredible it's just 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 been incredible as we sort of find our way into this new world. Uh, I've been telling people that I mentioned in Atlanta this thing that we've all been through for the past year and a half, and a guy in the second row yeah uh, with a beard said still in and i said excuse me <laughs> and his name is jonathan and he works for the cdc so shout out to jonathan who works for the cdc but uh it was i was so struck that when i said this thing we've been through he was like we're still in it um and he talked a little bit about how we're still in this so that's uh i find myself catching myself you know this whole thing we've all been through that we're still in so Thank you, Jonathan. Um, and I, th- I can think of so many of your faces um, and your questions and your stories. And yeah, so uh, this episode actually, so what happens is I go out and I meet a bunch of you and then I have uh, right here in front of me this whole list of episodes I've thought about doing. Uh, I have this running list. Uh, here's, here's one at some point we'll do called There Are No Tangents. that's a new thing. Yeah, whenever someone's like, you know, that kind of felt like a tangent. I was like, no, there are no tangents. Everything's related to everything else. There's some reason why it came up. Uh, So anyway, I'm looking down through here through all these other, uh, this list of episodes to do, but um, I love it because I go out and meet you and then I think, oh, oh, like someone asks a question or someone says something, oh, I should do that episode. So that's how this comes about. Oh, also, it's early December and those of you... Uh, I do this joke every year at this time because it's never not funny to me, but for that person who you don't know what to get them, have you considered millones Cajones? Um, we have some hardcover uh, copies of my first novel, which is called millones Cajones. We have them, and uh, there's we're running a sale. <laughs> it's a Christmas sale on my first novel. You can get that at uh, my site. Because that's just funny to watch somebody open up a book called Milones Cajones. And uh, also there's hours, especially because I keep meeting people who just started listening to Robcast. There are obviously all these old episodes. There's 300 and what? Now 16 of these episodes. There's also um, a ton of hours of long-form audio recordings on my site. There's a writing class. There's uh, seven hours on the art of communicating. There's uh, one that I did called Launching Rockets, which is 17 observations about being a parent. So the first two hours of the recording are me giving you 17 observations about being a parent. And then the third hour is Kristen giving her commentary on my (laughs) observations. Um, There's also a 12-hour audio, which is me... Uh, doing commentary on the book of Leviticus, which Genesis, it's a third book in the Bible, and it's traditionally seen for a lot of people as the most sort of obtuse or the most like, what does it have to do with anything? Um, but Leviticus, obviously, is about how we arrange ourselves. It's about living sustainably. It's about caring for the earth. It's about justice. It's about a society having a safety net that protects the most vulnerable. Do those sound like things that anybody he's talking about right now. Yeah. So that's called Blood, Guts, and Fire. Um, and it's all about the shocking relevance of the book of Leviticus for the world that we find ourselves in. So all that's at the site uh, as well. But now, let's do just a brief guide to ecstasy, shall we? By the way, I love doing these episodes. I'm struck with this right now. I'm about to read you uh kind of obscure story from the New Testament, and we're just going to explore it, and it's just so enjoyable. Here's one of the reasons why it's enjoyable. Because there's this word that entered our lexicon the past few years, the past, what, five years, called polarized. Oh, we're so increasingly polarized. You've heard this a thousand times, right? Polarization, and particularly political polarization is the inability to see yourself in another. Polarization is when you watch or look at somebody and you can see absolutely zero connection between them and you. All you can see is their opinions, judgments, decisions, beliefs, who they voted for, and you're completely mystified. So an example would be, why would those people vote for that person? Well, casual observation. Those people are filled with resentment. That's quite clear in pretty much everything they say. Okay, think about the times when you've been filled with resentment. Was that peak rationality? (laughs) When you're filled with resentment, is that when you make the most sense? Have you ever been in an argument and you're feeling resentment and you say something and as you say it, you know, this is only going to make things worse and I'm going to have to apologize for this in probably just a few minutes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that's what I, that's, that's what we mean by finding yourself in another. You go, oh, yeah, yeah, there's, there's resentment. Oh, yeah, resentment does make, make you do very irrational things. Yeah, sometimes even in resentment, you don't look out for your own best interest. Yeah. Now, it doesn't mean that you condone it. You might still think, yeah, that person's being an idiot. Yeah, that's dumb. That's wrong. That's unjust. It's racist. It's homophobic. So whatever. Yeah, it doesn't mean that you don't have very strong judgments and decisions about that policy, that position, that statement, et cetera, et cetera. Just means that you're not as mystified as you were. So essentially, you and I are living in a world in which these muscles have atrophied for many people. Although in some cases they were simply never there. The the ability to see yourself in another. So, so one of the reasons why on RobCast I'm often reading you an ancient text, specifically from the Bible, is because I'm compelled to take us through experiences where we're building up those muscles— to be able to see a common humanity, to see ourselves in another. And that's, that's part of the gift of a really old text from a different place in a different time. And when somebody says, why would you bother? We have pressing things going on here. Who even cares about an ancient tradition or an ancient obscure book that may or may not even have happened exactly like it says it happened? Here's why. Because it helps condition you to spot the common humanity that we all share. You're getting better at better. Uh, one, one phrase that comes to mind often is pattern recognition. Oh, yeah, there it is, there it is. I see that. I see that in myself. Yeah. Even this thing that we've been that we've been through, that we're still in um, the number of people who a global pandemic might be new to us, but the human experience of disorientation, loss, and confusion, and how people respond to that. Yeah, that's that's a very ancient experience. And there are lots and lots and lots of places we can turn for wisdom about how to hold on to ourselves and find our way forward. So sometimes you go back so that you can go forward. So, all that to say, this story here, when I first read it, uh for some of you, especially if none of the Bible stuff is familiar or you just want to throw up in your mouth at the thought of the Bible, hang with me because we're talking here about what it means to be human, and we're drawing upon these vast ancient resources we have across all sorts of traditions and spiritual lineages. I just happen to be grounded in this one, and I happen to find it endlessly compelling, but hang with me here. It's from the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is in the New Testament, and the book of Acts is about expansion— the book starts sometimes to understand a book, you simply look at the beginning and end. And when you see the whole larger narrative, the larger arc or trajectory, then you can fit things in. So the book of Acts begins with a small group of people in a city called Jerusalem, and it ends in Rome, which is a global center of massive diversity and difference. So it starts in a fairly homogeneous Jewish city Jerusalem, among a small group of mostly Jewish followers of this Jesus. And it ends in a major world center, Rome, and a man named Paul who is talking to everybody who's coming through. So you see how the book itself is about a reality that cannot be contained and naturally expands it naturally extends beyond whatever borders people create for it. So do you see how expansion, that's like a, that's a truth, that's a feeling, that's a movement, that's something in your bones, you know, when you've felt an expansion happening within you, when you've realized that whatever it is happening within you can't fit within the earlier forms, you can't stay there, the the insight simply doesn't fit in the earlier categories. Yeah. So this story happens within a book that is about the nature of expansion. And it happens in a city called Joppa, which is a first century port and on the Mediterranean. And this man named Simon Peter, sometimes he's called Simon, sometimes he's called Peter, sometimes he's called Simon Peter. About noon, here's the text. Simon Peter went up on the roof to pray. He's staying at the house, side note here, he's staying at the house of a man named Simon the Tanner. So a man named Peter goes up on the roof of this house he's staying at to pray. By the way, that house ha- some people believe that house, like if you want to go to that city to this day, they'll show you a house and say this is the house. To what degree that is just like basically making money off tourists, and to what degree that is historically accurate, you can uh, discuss that one all day. But yeah, like you could actually Google the, the house in Joppa, where Simon Peter was, and they'll see all sorts of images. Anyway, about noon, Simon Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. In the trance, he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. That sheet contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds, how you doing so far? It's trippy, right? Super trippy. Then a voice told Simon Peter, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. Don't worry, we're going to explain all this. The voice spoke to him a second time. Don't call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. <laughs> Now, in some ways, we've dropped down in the middle of the story, but in many ways, this right here, this, this is the story. man named Peter is hungry. He wants to eat. They're preparing some food somewhere in the house. He goes up on the roof. He falls into a trance. Now, this story was originally told in the Greek language. In the Greek language, the word trance there is the word ekstasis. So if you're reading this in the original language is written in ekstasis ek ek in greek means out of ek means out of stasis is like standing or state so think of like uh in science class when you learned about homeostasis like a like a sort of home base position or mode or state of being. Homeostasis would be same standing, meaning a sort of consistency. So stasis means like a standing or a state or your regular place of being. Out of ekstasis, out of his regular state or his standing. Do you know what we get from this? Ecstasy. Yeah, ecstasy. Ecstasy is when you're not you're out of your normal what would you say bearing posture uh mode Um, there's a translation of the bible called the holman translation and they translate it this way he went into a visionary state so notice how the translator in the first version said it called it a trance even though the literal world so that you can see the tricky thing here with translation is the word is extasis. How do you translate that in English? You and I would be like, uh, why don't you just translate it literally? But notice how the translators literally avoid the obvious English word. And they would have their reasons, but nevertheless, isn't that fascinating? How the interpretation and the translation, well, you say this way, the translation actually has some interpretation in it. See what I mean? The interpreter... The translator isn't just taking that word and saying, well, that word means this word. They have to make some decisions along the way. So one Bible translated, he went into a visionary state. The Darby translation of the Bible says, an ecstasy came upon him. (laughs) I like that one. Peter, he's up on the roof, and an ecstasy comes upon him. The Dewey Reims Bible, by the way, these are super obscure translations of the Bible. The Dewey Reims Bible, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, translates it this way. There came upon Peter an ecstasy of the mind. <laughs> Isn't that great? God, it's so old school. Yeah, it's a story about a man who finds himself in not his regular frame of mind. Yeah, Anybody know what that feel, feels like? Like the whole thing is just tilted a touch, like it's a little swirly, like it's a little psychedelic, like it's a little altered state, like it's a little... I uh, Maybe you have this over the past year and a half in relation to time, that sense of bendy, stretchy. Um, maybe you have that in the sense of what we've all been through and are in about what even is a life, like, if we can't go to the places we normally go to, anybody relate to that feeling? What what even was the life that we called a life? Because now we're, like, for a while there, we were in our homes every day, many people. That feeling of, like, what even is this? Uh, it's, yeah, yeah. Do you see how that this word ecstasy, out of your normal mind or way of thinking, being, relating, mode of... Conduct. Yeah, it's you can see why I'm slowing this down here. It's a feeling like that sits in the body as much as it is anything. You know, that feeling when someone gives you, like when you find out someone you love died, or when you get bad news about something. You know, that feeling when you're like, you're, we would say, like, oh, my head was swimming. Yeah, you can say that's a that's a sort of ecstasy. Now, obviously, we we generally associate ecstasy with like a an out-of-body joy. But you can see the word literally isn't just about joy, but it's a it's about out of your normal. It came to be associated in our culture at least with a sort of happiness or joy or transcendent euphoria. But you can see how the word literally refers to you're out of your normal. It might be because of sadness, it might be because of shock. It might be because of uh Profound anxiety that you find, like I can't even think straight, has an element of the ecstatic to it. Not like life is so great, but like God, I, I can't seem to find my normal plate, like home base, almost. So this man Peter fall. What is? What was the? What was it comes up? There came upon him an ecstasy of the mind. He falls into a trance. And in the trance, he's told a sheet is lowered down, and the sheet contains all sort of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds, and a voice tells him to get up and kill and eat. Now, there's a whole bunch of inside baseball here, so I'm going to summarize a massive amount quite quickly here. Peter came from a tradition, this Jewish tradition, that saw themselves as set apart. They saw themselves as a tribe with a mission— Central to their story, in a world in which the tribes endlessly battled themselves for survival and supremacy, they saw themselves not just as a tribe that was here to survive and sort of make it like all the other tribes, but they saw themselves as a tribe that existed to serve all the other tribes. This was, of course, a radical new idea. A a nation blessed to bless other nations is another way of saying it. So, I'm, and once again, I am summarizing, like, uh, some people say the dangers of oversimplification. I'm just, I'm, yeah, we're going way into the oversimplifying, but there's a reason here. He came from a tradition that saw themselves as set apart. We don't just exist for ourselves. We exist to serve and bless the world. This, of course, is a radical, evolutionary, whatever you want to call it, new idea. This was a new idea. Our father Abraham... If you heard about Abraham, that's where the story comes from. These people over time had developed a series of dietary laws, meaning they ate certain foods and not other foods. If you've heard people talk about eating kosher, that's where this comes from. The book of Leviticus outlines in one chapter specifically a whole you can eat these animals, but not these animals. Now, there is endless discussion. I mean, you can find books and books and books and books and commentaries and rabbis and theologians and scholars. What exactly was the purpose of this? Some say just basic health. These people were former slaves wandering in the wilderness, and some basic instructions on eat this, don't eat this, were just basic health instructions. Others say, no, 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 it's all symbol. So the distinction of eating this versus this was because they were. it was a way to teach them how to distinguish this way of living, over and against this way of living. Other people, like, there's, so you can just speculate endlessly. What had happened is that Peter had been grown up and had been conditioned, let's use the word conditioned and the word programmed, and the word shaped. How about those words? He had been shaped to see the world in a particular way, and central to that way is you eat these things and you're not allowed to eat those things. So that was what his world had taught him. So he falls into a trance, and what happens in the trance is a sheet is lowered down of the very animals that he is, knows you don't eat those. You have to distinguish what you eat. You just don't eat just anything. Now, what had happened among Peter's people is the, this belief of we are different than the other tribes, and this idea of distinction had come down to, among his people, it was very common wisdom that you wouldn't even go in the house of somebody who wasn't from your tribe. So this is where you get this phrase, Jew and Gentile. To Peter, a good Jew, it was against the rules of his people to go into the house of a Gentile because that would make you unclean. Same way eating a food that was on the don't eat list. Um, Some of this came from earlier scriptures. Most of it came from rules that his people had added to rules, and added to rules, and added to those rules. Most of it was an oral tradition that had developed over time, because religious people, capital R, shout out to the last episode, capital R religious folks love rules. Actually, everybody loves rules. especially the people who say there are no rules, because that's a rule. Yeah, you see how interesting this gets? So Peter has been shaped his entire life by a particular view. I am different. I only eat this, not this. And I can only go in these homes of the people who are like me, and I can't go in the homes of other people because that would uh, break the rules. What he sees and what he hears in this trance, in this ecstatic state, puts him in conflict with his tradition. He is given a vision for what to do, but that would put him at odds with where he's coming from. Now, Peter, of course, is just like us. He's like everybody everywhere, who is given a vision, a view of how the world is. Businesses can be incredibly fundamental, right? Or how about this one? Academia. Those of you in the academy, professors, teachers, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Talk about a hotbed of rigid fundamentalism. And by that, I mean, here are the rules. Here is how this world works. And if you break those rules in any way, the penalties are swift and furious. Families. Family systems have very strong sets of what's acceptable and what isn't. Cultures, obviously religions. Think about marketplaces where people live and move and make their living. Just pick any one. Uh, Yeah. There are entire music scenes that are incredibly rigid about what's acceptable, what's not. What's considered in the bounds. Some, Some of the most fundamentalist people I've ever met are uh, in punk rock, which would see itself as rebellious, which see itself as free and nonconformist. It's as conformist as it gets sometimes. Yeah, Yeah. Oftentimes when a subculture or a group or a system prides itself on how free and wide open... And liberated it is. Generally, it has an underbelly that's incredibly restrictive. Yeah, that's why the, the often the people who talk the most about tolerance, often if you just scratch the surface, there's ferocious intolerance just below the surface. Yeah, yeah, you, you've seen all this. This is this isn't that new, but it's important to see that when we see a man named Peter, who's been taught you can eat this and not eat this, and you can go there and you can't eat there. uh, Yeah, that's all of us. Yeah, that's everybody. Everybody's coming from a world that told them, this is how the world works. This is who we are. This is what we do. This is what we don't do. And Peter falls into some sort of ecstasy, some sort of trance on the roof of some guy's house. And in the vision... He is told, hey, you can eat all of it. Now, some of you already are probably like, wait, 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 is it about is the vision, is it about literally food or is it about how he relates to people? Nice. Yep, you're a step ahead. Because it's not just about food, it's about how he sees the world. Peter, oh God, this is so good. Oh, I can't believe it. Peter's response to, hey, Peter, you can you can eat all this. Like to a Peter's response to a new, more expanded and permissible view of the world. His response is, surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or clean. Peter argues. He thinks that it's God. So he immediately associates this trance. I'm I'm meeting with God. I'm God is giving me instructions. He immediately argues with with his God. (laughs) <laughs> oh god it's a good storyteller right oh it's like somebody going hey here you can be more free no way i would never do that <laughs> he argues think about the logic of the story this is a master storyteller he's being given a new more expansive and broadened vision for being and he clings to how religiously rigorous he's been. I've never broken the rules. Why would I start now? (laughs) Oh, my God. This is human beings who make up rules and then take such great pride in sticking to the rules. Just making it all up. Just making it all up. (laughs) That's... Yeah, that's what I want you to see here. Well, you'll see whatever you're going to see, but that's what—that's what I want you to see here. You see the, the oh God? What's let's think of an ancient word, think like of an old school word. The folly. Yeah, human beings make up a bunch of rules and then give themselves points for following the rules, and then he has this transcendent experience on the roof of a house where he's told, I, "Actually, you don't have to follow those rules." And he argues. He's so loyal to his religion that he argues with the god of his religion <laughs> <clears throat> oh god do you see how an ancient story can get incredibly of the moment in no time he he literally argues against the new thing that is happening in the name of his religion the, the sport the, the storyteller is like spoofing him skewering him oh god yeah now let's pause for a moment and reflect about how the mind works because peter's defenses here to this new thing his defenses are all up his shackles are up instantly i don't quite know what a shackle is in this situation you don't understand what i'm saying he gets it he he is like on guard Notice the role of the mind and its relation to ecstasy. Because ecstasis is essentially an ecstasy of the mind. It's a slight stepping out of the normal thinking. But the mind immediately goes into overdrive here to defend him against this new thing that's better. Can't let that in. So let's pause for a moment here and reflect on how the mind works. The, the image that, that helps me the most, it gets me the quickest. Imagine your ancestors on the plains of Africa tens and tens of thousands of years ago. Is there a lion in those bushes or not? We need to know. Because if there is a lion in the bushes right there, we're going to take off running the other direction, correct? If there isn't a lion in the bushes, we're good. So you can see what happened for your ancestors. The mind kept us alive. It's constantly scanning, looking for danger, looking for especially, and here's the word, scanning for the unknown. Your mind is masterful at spotting the unknown. Because that could be danger, that could be threat, that could be annihilation, that could be... uh, that could be the loss of life. That could, the, your mind is so good at spotting the danger. Think about that time when you received a uh, hundred emails, and ninety nine of them were fantastic, and one of them wasn't. It was negative. It was critical. It uh, raised a question about a thing that meant you had to which of the hundred emails are you thinking about that night in bed at 3 a.m. when you can't sleep? The one, right? The 99 and the one, you'll think about the one. You receive 27 bits of feedback about that thing that you just participated in, and two of them weren't positive. Which are the two you're thinking of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So notice what your mind does there. It bends, it focuses, it obsesses, it ruminates on the one and the two, not all the others. Thirteen people get in line to tell you how awesome they are, and the fourteenth the person says to you, Eh, you're okay. Which the one you're thinking about later? Yeah, the fourteenth. So the mind, your mind, you have a long evolutionary history of your mind keeping you alive, with this extraordinary ability it has to scan your environment, searching for threats, danger, and anything unknown, because the unknown, well, that who knows what that could be. So the mind is very good at that. Now, here's the thing. To grow, expand, mature, evolve, whatever words we want to use, requires the emergence of the new, and your participation in something new, which will generally, at first, present itself as the unknown. So, obviously, the hero's journey, as we all know, begins by heading into the unknown. Yeah, so you can see how your mind is both incredibly helpful, but can quickly work against the very natural process of growing and maturing and expanding into a more full sense of who you are and what you're here to do. Yeah, so you can see why in a culture like ours that is so jammed up in its head. How many people do you know, or is this you, who have a running dialogue in your head that is negative, critical, fearful? You'd give anything to get rid of that. Yeah, yeah, we, we live in a culture that is stuck in its head. This is why you've heard me talk so much about the heart, not as the heart over against the head, but as the heart as the center of your being that integrates your mind. So, what happens when you live from heart then is you take the data that mind is giving you and it gets placed in a larger playing field. So, essentially, the heart thanks the mind. Thank you for doing your job, mind. I'll take it from here. Because fear is data. It's data. Those people might not like that thing you're doing. Data. That's all it is. It's just information. It's just information. And when you're living from heart, then you don't have to get swamped by that because you see it. Okay, good. Got that. Now I know that. If I do that, there's a group of people who might not approve of me anymore. Okay, got it. <laughs> yeah, do you see See what happens when you begin to live from heart? Is what would traditionally be considered criticism or reason not to do it or all that, you know, hate on the internet just becomes like, yeah, whatever, whatever. We got stuff to do here. Yeah, because heart can heart can get through that. So, uh, where were we? Oh, yeah. So, you can see here the power of the ecstasy is it Puts Peter, Simon Peter is just slightly out. His guard, well, his guard is up at first, but you can see how the vision just slightly brings down the defense enough that he can actually have the vision. And the vision goes to work on him. By the way, the voice spoke, here's from the text the voice spoke to him a second time. Don't call anything impure that God has made clean. Basically, the second time, the voice is like, Your rules. They don't really make a lot of sense, because your whole tradition has basically said, this is okay and this is not, but all of it comes from the earth, and the earth is good, and the divine provides all of it for you. So why are you making rules that your God doesn't? (laughs) This happened three times, the text says, the story, and then immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. (laughs) Do you love three rounds, by the way? I love three rounds because like the storyteller is saying, this guy is a bit thick. <laughs> it takes a bit for this guy. And then the story says, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the ecstasy, some men came. And then we'll get to that in a second because that's, like, that's where the, the story picks up. But let's pause there for a moment. What's so fascinating about the spiritual wisdom tradition, and well, specifically the Bible, a good chunk of the major moments of revelation and breakthrough in the Bible happen when, well, Jacob has a dream, Abraham has a vision, Mary has a dream, Ezekiel has a vision, the Apostle Paul is struck blind on the road and falls into some sort of trance. Isaiah has a vision. John has a wild vision. Peter here falls into an ecstasy trance. The disciples at Jesus' transfiguration have a vision of Moses and Elijah who were dead but who were alive in the vision, and then on the way down the mountain, the storyteller tells you that Peter, same Peter, had no idea what he was saying. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if anybody's ever told you this, but a good chunk of the major moments in the Bible, the person is in an altered state. You realize that, right? Like the giant moments, the person isn't in their normal mode. Why is that? I would say because our minds, when we are not living in a heart-centered place, our minds will actually shoot down and deny and avoid the very real new thing spirit is doing, because when it first shows up, it appears unknown in your brain, if that's the only thing that's firing, has a long, long evolutionary history of resisting and avoiding the unknown, because that could be danger. You See how interesting this gets? Yeah. Think of how many people you have seen, or you have resisted it simply because it was new. Yeah. There's a very real explanation for that. You're here, sitting here alive, listening alive, because that mind did its job. It's just when it overreaches, it actually gets in the way. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Aren't we fascinating creatures? Man, oh man, if you're bored, you're not paying attention. So interesting how we work and how we function and how in this story you see it all in play. This guy Pete, how do you get somebody's attention when their mind is so rigid? It's so conditioned. How will you how will a world wake up to the crises that we have all around us in terms of the earth, in terms of violence, in terms of economics, in terms of race, in terms of when for so many people anything new gets shot down do you see do you see how how this truth endures there's something about the state he finds himself in that the door just slightly gets cracked open the ecstasy that he experiences even though he resists it at first while peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision is what it says So, even though he resists it and he argues, he argues with his God about this new thing, he still can't stop thinking about it. He has an experience that he can't explain out of hand. Yeah, his usual modes of swatting it away don't work. His usual clinging to his religiosity. I've never eaten anything impure. His usual, what would you call that? Defiance? Pride? Conviction? They can't endure whatever this new thing is that's happening. And then the storyteller says, while he was wondering about what it meant some men sent by a man named Cornelius, these would have been Romans, so not Jewish, found out where Simon's house was and stopped by the gate, and they called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. The vision, and there's a little bit of story before this story that gives you even more context, but the vision ends, and somebody shows up outside who is not Jewish, and... They ask if there's somebody named Simon Peter, and they ask Simon Peter if they'll come over to his house. And so he goes with these men who are not from his tribe, and they take him back to their house. And while they were talking with him, Peter went inside the house and found a large gathering of people. Now, these would not have been Jewish people. So Peter is way, 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 way out past his tradition. Wait. Because his tradition, you weren't allowed to go into the house of somebody who was a Gentile. And Peter goes into the house, and he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with Gentiles or visit them. And then, essentially, my version of... Let me paraphrase the story. He hangs out with them and tells them what he's been up to. Tells them who this Christ is who's transformed him, what he's seen. He tells him about a new vision for the world. He gives them, yeah, and he goes, and the story from there just continues to expand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what happens is he glimpses a wider, more expansive, uh, more uh, inclusive, all the things you would say, embracing view of humanity, and right away, he has an invitation to put this new understanding into practice Now, let's pause. Let's back up a little bit and talk about how spirit works, and then we'll come back to the idea that he actually goes into a house that his whole life he had taught. Whatever you do, don't go in a house like that. First off, um, and I've said this a thousand times, but but I I always come back to this. Spirit only knows new creation. Yeah, that's what spirit does. That sense you have that something new is being birthed. That's why birth imagery is so powerful. The sense you have that something new wants to be formed, take shape, something new wants to be given expression, new equality, new justice, new art, new arrangements, new human beings, yeah, yeah, spirit. That's what spirit does. That's what spirit does. Spirit does new manifestations, new creation. Yeah, yeah. This this yeah, and and, and essentially every major spiritual tradition speaks, has some sort of creation story that generally involves some sort of formlessness taking on form. Yeah, spirit only knows new creation. And number two, new creation is usually disruptive. New creation is usually disruptive. You get a new idea about how to organize your calendar. Well, that will disrupt. That will be different than the current way you arrange your calendar. You, you get a new vision of what you are going to give your energy to. Well, it will probably involve you seeing things that you are currently giving your energies to that you no longer are going to be giving your energies to. That will be disruptive at some level. Yeah. Maybe even bewildering, perhaps frightening at first. So, so spirit only knows new creation, and new creation is often disruptive. Somebody somewhere often has a vested interest in things remaining exactly the way they are. They get power, prestige, approval, rewards, a paycheck. Somebody somewhere has a vested interest in things remaining how they are. You may have a vested interest, a level of comfort and security and things remaining how they are. And yet something within you is inviting you to something new. Now, What new creation reveals is how constructed and malleable the world actually is. So Peter has been taught that his people are this way, those people are that way, and these are the rules, and he has been taught in many ways these rules are non-negotiables They're in cement. They're how it is. But then he falls, what is it, into an ecstasy of the mind? And through it, he learns that what he thought is how it is, is actually something that was constructed, and anything that can be constructed can be taken apart, and you can simply make something new. Oh, my entire life I've been taught as a good Jewish man, you do not go in the house of a Gentile. And then he goes in the house of a Gentile. (laughs) His entire life he's been told, you can eat this, but you can't eat this. And then he has a vision and he's told, you can eat all this. (laughs) Which turns out to be about people. What new creation reveals is how constructed the world is. It is constructed and therefore changeable and malleable way more than most people realize. Most people, it just is. And then you try and find your way and your place within it. But it is actually shaped... It is actually constantly in the process of shaping, and it is at, the clay is far softer and easier to form into different shapes than most people realize. Think about your life. Okay, here's an example. Money. Think about the rules that exist within your mind about money. There is enough. There is not enough. It works this way. It doesn't work that way. Those people have that. These people have that. This is possible. That would never be possible. I could probably pull off that, but I could never afford... Yeah, notice your mind. Observe right now your mind and all of the attachments and constructions that it has about money. Now, obviously, not some of those are obviously perhaps true. But notice even your ability to become aware and witness to how your mind thinks about money. And notice that all of the people you've ever met who are generous never talk about how they're generous. They just are generous. Notice how the ways that we think about what we have and what we don't have can be changed. You can decide there's enough. You can decide to give. You can decide to be generous. You can decide to live in an abundance, not like a sort of cheesy, smarmy, gross sort of, you can have anything you want, but in an awareness that... Abundance is the nature of the game, not lack and scarcity. So you notice what we did just right there? You you can fly around in your mind and construct it lots of different ways. You can choose to believe there will be plenty. You can choose to believe you will have enough for whatever it is spirit is inviting you to do. You could you you could construct that and live that way. You could cling to the belief that there isn't enough to do that. Or you could simply swap that belief out for a different belief. When I get clarity on the next thing to do, I will have what I need to do that. Not until then, but then. I'll have what I need, when I need it, to do the next thing that I'm here to do. Yeah, do you see see that little thing we just did right there? See that exercise? Do Do you see how the mind... It can, it can build it, it can take it apart, it can build a different one, it can cling to this, it can cling to that, it can construct that. That's the profound thing happening in this story, is the ecstasy that Peter undergoes exposes that what he thought was simply how it is, is actually a set of assumptions, rules, and regulations that he can just leave behind. <laughs> And then he does. What new movement within you will always do is lead you to new movement. New movement of spirit within you will lead you to new movement outside of you, otherwise known as action. Yeah, that's how it works. You have that experience, that trance-like ecstasy of, wait, 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 wait. I always thought that that was an ironclad rule, but suddenly I'm realizing I could think about that differently. Yeah, 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 that can happen. And then what will inevitably happen is you will be invited to actually live that out. That new understanding will then naturally ask for an incarnation. It'll seep into your flesh and blood, and you'll find yourself living in new ways. I call this... uh, Well, in this story, it's a threshold moment, although other people have... Threshold is like a thing. It's a threshold moment. You're stepping over a threshold. Peter shows up at this house full of Gentiles. His entire life, he's been told, and it's been given divine sanction, these rules. If you go into the house of a Gentile, you will be violating the rules of your tribe, but you will be breaking the laws of God, of the ultimate nature of the universe. And then Peter's like, hmm... Nah. <laughs> That's a summary of this entire story. Peter, if you go in the house of a Gentile, you will be breaking the eternal, absolute laws of your God. Mm. Nah, I don't think so. <laughs> and then he goes into the house. He crosses the threshold. You used to do it this way, that way, but now you're doing it this way. Yeah. Imagine him standing there in that house, his whole life being told, if you're a good person, think of the conditioning, think of the programming, think of the cognitive reinforcement again and again and again. What we do not do is go in the home of Gentiles. And this is not only the home of a Gentile, this is a home full of Gentiles for this guy. Whew. Yeah. But he was hungry and f- fell into a trance, experienced an ecstatic state on the roof of a house, and what he, what he got from the whole thing about the animals in the sheets was, hey, people are people, man. That's that's my translation of the story. People are people. And so he's standing there in the doorway of this house. You can even, by the way, what's great is he goes into the house. Isn't that great? He goes into the house, and then he's, like his opening line, not like, hey, great to be with you guys. Hey, good crowd. You know, <laughs> um, He doesn't go in and, like, as the storyteller tells it, he doesn't go in and be like, you know what? This is kind of awesome to be with you. He goes in and says, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with Gentiles. That is a crap opener. Are you with me on that? It's just like how to kill a crowd. You know that my people don't think I should be here. Oh, I've done a fair bit of public speaking and that is that is a crap opener right but it's also fantastic it's as if he's still working through the old messages and he just has to say it almost like to just get it out like you guys know that what i'm doing right now this is like radical stuff for me my people don't do what i'm doing there was a guy when i was starting out there was an older gentleman who I would be going on about this or that, you know, doing, doing what I was doing at late 20s. And he, his name was Bill. He would sometimes say to me, he would say, if only you knew where I started. And, I, and I'd be like, what, are, what is he? And it took me a while to understand what he was saying. But he came, he had come from such a different world and and he and I were were for that period of time were walking together. He was helping me do a bunch of things I was doing, and every once in a while he'd just go, "If only you see where I started." And I and I realize now what he was saying is, for me this was just like, "Yeah, the next thing. What's the problem? Let's go. Let's do this. Let's build like it." And he had come. We were so far from the world that he had come from that he just every once in a while was like a release valve, like. Man, oh man, this new territory. If you could see where I come from, and I realize now that, yeah, that's what Peter's doing. Peter steps over a threshold into a whole new world that would get him severely penalized, which does get him severely penalized. Like almost like, are you even still part of us? Because you're like acting in these. What are you doing? Have you lost your mind? What do you? We don't believe. We didn't teach you this. We didn't believe. What do you? Do you? Are you even? I mean, are you even the real thing anymore? I mean, what has happened? Uh, it's like, almost like he says, when he says to the crowd, like, you're well aware there's against the, our law for our Jews. It's almost like he's actually, think about this. <laughs> it's like the psychoanalytic analytic reading. I am well aware that my people have a law that I just broke. And then a number of my friends would be shocked to see me. They would have deep concerns for my soul. But hey, you know, I had, I had some ecstasy. <laughs> I had an ecstasy. I had some ecstasy. And now I'm here and uh, let's go. Let's do this. Yeah. Yeah. I often meet people who can't figure out why they still have a voice on their shoulder. They can't figure out why the ways they were taught the world works still has a certain power to them. And I always just respond, did the people who taught you how the world works, did they feed you? Well, yeah. Did they make sure you had clothes? Yeah. Did they provide you with a house, like a roof over your head? Uh, Yeah. People always look at me like, why are you asking these questions? Uh, Another question. Did they make sure that maybe you got to school on time? Did they pack your lunch? Yes, they did. Okay. So at a young age, the people who cared for you at the most basic level of food and shelter also told you things about how the world works, about who you are, who other people are. They taught you things about money, sex, uh, violence, uh, relationship, all this. They, Yeah. Yeah. So the same people at a young age who made sure that you were kept alive and thriving also told you a number of things. And now later in life, you're realizing, actually, some of the things, some of the rules, <laughs> some of those rules yeah, I don't. I'm not gonna live by those anymore. Some of those worldviews, not that helpful. Some of that thinking, kind of restrictive and narrow. Yeah. So when people say like, "Why? Do, why does some of that still? Why do I still sometimes have a voice on my shoulder?" Yeah, it's com- because these people also did tremendous good for you. Let's call it, Let's call it love. And there was also a lot of love in there. Of course, the the deprogramming might take a while. Of course. Yeah. It's not weird. Yeah. It's not like strange. You can see that. Do you see how you can reframe that as the most natural thing imaginable? Yeah. And yet, spirit keeps inviting, keeps guiding, keeps leading, keeps infusing you with a sense of divine restlessness. You're filled with gratitude, because gratitude and restlessness can sit side by side. You're filled with gratitude, and yet you also have this sense of like, oh, there's something new happening here. Let's follow it. Let's see where it takes us, because there's more thresholds. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's one threshold after another. So over time, instead of fighting the thresholds, instead of fearing the thresholds, you begin to see, man... What, what else? Would we do? This is great. Let's do this. Yeah. 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 You begin to discover there's a sort of ecstasy about it. And may grace and peace and ecstasy, my friends, be with you every step of the way, especially when you step over that threshold.